Let us hear the word of the Lord together. Again, from 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are found then to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, happy Easter. You were the best of the three services, but that was still pretty weak. <laughs> Happy Easter. Happy Easter. You were the best of the three services. <laughs> Something about 11 o'clock. Um, have you ever wondered why today is called Easter? The word Easter comes to us from the words Eastern and Easterly. This navigational word was associated with today as a reminder to those of us living in the West as to the direction we should be facing when we think upon the source of our redemption in Jerusalem. While I like the idea of our lives being reoriented towards Jesus, I must confess that my preferred name for today is Resurrection Sunday. It's not that I have anything against chocolate bunnies or jelly beans or egg hunts. I think they're awesome. And just for the record, I prefer the, right, the red, white, and green jelly beans, not the black. <laughs> I like the chocolate peanut butter eggs and the dark chocolate hollow bunnies. No, I prefer Resurrection Sunday to Easter Sunday because I think it clarifies why we are gathered here today. As Paul has shared with us, the resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith, the most essential belief for a follower of Jesus, the singular basis for the entirety of the Christian faith, the foundation upon which the whole of the church is built and continues to stand is this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It should be the reason why we gather together this morning. But if you'll forgive me, from my own personal experience, more and more these days, I find that people believe in Easter Sunday rather than Resurrection Sunday. I mean, who doesn't love all the pomp and pageantry of Easter? The new dresses, the stylish hats, the honey-baked ham. <laughs> who doesn't come here this morning wanting to hear a word of promise? The promise of hope as winter turns to spring. But beyond that, most of us are very uncomfortable with the idea of resurrection. I mean, come on. 
We're reasonable, educated people here in Orange County. If resurrection means that Jesus rose from the grave, walked out of a sealed tomb, that Jesus lives, that Jesus is in this very room right now, how are we supposed to believe something as outlandish as that? I mean, resurrection described in this way is illogical. It's unscientific. It's irrational. I mean, seriously, when's the last time you saw a dead person walking around, talking with other people, eating fish, drinking wine, and showing off the scars of his execution? Anybody? No, the tomb is, is actually a much more comfortable place for us to leave Jesus. We would rather imagine Jesus at rest, at peace, a good man, unfairly killed, like Martin Luther King Jr., or Abraham Lincoln, or Gandhi. If we are to talk of resurrection, if we are to speak of his resurrection, let us speak of Jesus as an example or model who continues to live through how our memory of his words and his deeds inspire us. He is risen in the joy of our hearts. He is risen in the love that we share together. He is risen indeed. Doesn't have the same ring, does it? Yeah, but... But resurrection doesn't make sense. I know that at least some of us today are here thinking that resurrection doesn't make sense. And if you're one of those people saying resurrection doesn't make sense, let me ask you something. Does death make any more sense? Does anyone really think it's logical when the potential and promise of any human life is cut short abruptly and without warning? If death is so rational, why do we lament at the termination of any life? Why the tears? Well, some of us might argue, yeah, well, one should at least have had a good run. One should have at least lived a full life so that they're prepared for death. But how much life lived is enough to make death acceptable? And, and if death is so logical, why don't we want someone else deciding this for us? How much life lived is acceptable if death is so rational? Yeah, but, but resurrection isn't natural, we might press on. I mean, death is a part of life. That's what we say. But do we really believe that? Do we really believe that we were created to die? You've heard the expression, I hope, youth is wasted on the young. And that saying, obviously crafted by those whom we would have considered to have lived a long life, youth is wasted on the young, that expression is trying to communicate to all of us that death makes no sense. If the wisdom that comes from maturity teaches us that the older we get, the more we realize how much we have to learn, does it make any sense that our life starts to wither and ultimately ceases just when we're really started to get living? What's natural about that? Deep down, deep down, aren't we all longing for resurrection? Is it just a coincidence that we tend to prefer stories about incredible comebacks? Or is there something to the fact that the songs we love most to sing, the movies that we're willing to line up for, are always about second chances and shots at redemption? When we dream, we don't dream about failure. When we hope, 
We don't hope for nothing. Our hopes and our dreams are built on possibilities. The conviction that anything can happen. No vision, no inspiration ever was born from the certainty that life is dead on arrival. That death is our final destination. No, I don't think it's as hard to believe in resurrection as some of us might believe. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the story of a lady in 1992 whose house received a letter from the welfare department in Greenville, South Carolina, which said, we have been notified that you are deceased and so we are canceling your food stamps. If your circumstances should change, please let us know and we will begin sending you stamps once more. Were they looking for resurrection? It's important we clarify something. When we speak of resurrection today, we are not talking about resuscitation. Churches around the world are not filled with people. Songs throughout the centuries were not written. Entire cultures have not been shaped by someone whom we believe was brought back to life. I mean, stories of near-death experiences are increasingly familiar to us. But Jesus, if you'll forgive the reference to a very famous movie, Jesus wasn't just mostly dead and therefore slightly alive. Jesus was dead. And then he was alive. In other words, Jesus didn't come back to life only to be subject to death later. Jesus conquered death and transformed life as we know it so that death is now but a stage and life can be eternal. Our friend Paul wrote about it this way in that letter to the Corinthians elsewhere. He wrote, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. The resurrection of Jesus offers the promise of transformation. Beloved, as we gather this morning, resurrection is not about coming back to life. Resurrection is about our entire life being changed. <laughs> Great. Just when we were starting to possibly embrace this idea of resurrection, there's another wrinkle added to the mix that makes this even harder for some of us to swallow. New creation? Transformation? Change? <laughs> What's the expression? The more things change, the more they stay the... <laughs> and people? People don't change. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. We all know that. True change, lasting change, is an illusion. It's a fantasy. As someone once wrote, people don't change. They just have momentary steps outside their true character. You ever wondered why eggs are associated with Easter? One of the reasons is that an egg is such a powerful symbol of resurrection. An egg is totally changed. Whenever we drop or crack an egg, we always see is this yellow and white liquid. 
Looking at this alone, we would never be able to tell, let alone imagine how that liquid can become alive with feathers and a chirp. It's the same liquid goo in every egg, but depending upon the egg, that liquid goo could become a chicken, a seagull, a crow, a magpie. The truth is, eggs aren't a dime a dozen. New life, transformed life, resurrection is in the palm of our hands every time we hold an egg. And there are other signs of resurrection around us as well. Every sunrise begins a symphony of resurrection. Or, or take a seed or an acorn. You can look at a seed and never imagine what shape, size, or color it might turn out to have. And similarly with a caterpillar and a butterfly. There are glimpses, these are all glimpses of resurrection because they become something else. Totally unforeseen and beautiful. And yet there's this continuity. The egg becomes a chicken. The acorn becomes an oak tree. The caterpillar becomes a butterfly. My friends, there are literally millions of mini resurrections happening all around us. Vibrant and touching examples of life coming out of death. Of victory rising out of defeat. Of what's old being transformed into something new. We don't always see these things. And even when we do see them, we don't always connect them to God's greater plan for us and for all of humanity. We might not make the connection, but beloved, that's why such moments exist in the fabric of creation as signposts, as markers of the greatest transformation, the most important victory of all, the fulfillment of a promise an expression of divine love, the declaration of a new kingdom, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Not figuratively, actually. Our brother Paul said it best, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is pointless. There is nothing for us to believe in. There is no gospel. There is no lasting good news that brings us together. You can pray for world peace all you want. But without resurrection, it's a pipe dream. It's a long shot. It's a fantasy. If Christ has not been raised, then my preaching is in vain. Why bother listening to me? Why bother listening to anyone who speaks of Jesus? If Jesus isn't risen, isn't risen indeed, then there's really no need for you to be here this morning. You could have slept in or had a nice brunch down by the beach. But Paul pushes further. If Christ has not been raised, we are still in our sin. Oh boy, thank you, Paul. There's a word that's fallen out of fashion. Sin. Sin has become a dirty little word in our world today. And it's a dirty little word, not because we believe it actually exists. It's a dirty little word because we take great offense that anyone would call anything that I choose to do that doesn't affect anyone else as being wrong. But sin isn't something we get to define for ourselves. Sin isn't something we get to label on other people either. Sin is not about our opinion. It's about the perspective of our creator. 
the one who created us, the one who designed everything, the one who knows how things are supposed to work. You and I, we, we try to pluralize sin. We talk about sins and we like to count sins. We work hard if we believe in sin to categorize sins, creating hierarchies and degrees of wrongdoing. But God, God keeps it simple. Anytime we live for ourselves, anytime we live for ourselves at the expense of others, anytime we seek to be self-righteous and self-justifying rather than solely dependent upon our creator, our father, the author of our lives, we are sinners. Based on that definition, we're all sinners. Coming from that perspective, there's enough blame to go around for everybody. Understood this way, it isn't us versus them. It's all are guilty and have fallen short of the glory of God. As Christians, we often talk about sin as being dealt with on the cross. We declare that Jesus disarms the power of sin in our lives through the greater power of sacrificial love and divine forgiveness. And while the cross may be where the good fight takes place, our assurance that the battle has been won, our assurance that Jesus has the authority to wipe the slate clean, has the authority to cancel our debts, has the authority to reconcile all that is not just, has the authority to restore all that's out of balance, has the ability to redeem all that is lost or forsaken, that assurance only comes by way of his resurrection. Not metaphorically, but actually. If Christ has not been raised, then he is not the answer to the problems of this world. He might be a good role model, but without the resurrection, Jesus is no savior. Still, Paul keeps pushing us. If Christ has not been raised, he writes, then those also who have fallen asleep, meaning those whom we have loved who have died, they are lost. We will never see them again. You can't cheat death, we like to say, and it's true. Death comes for us all. But if Jesus has risen, then Jesus has given us a new creation. Not metaphorically, but actually. The old order of things, life lived out of fear, life so often haunted by failure, life that finally surrenders to death, has passed away. In the new creation, death has been transformed from being our final destination into the gateway of life eternal, an existence where there shall be no more death. There shall be no more mourning, no more crying or pain. Beloved, as we gather here this morning, how many of us, all the people that are represented here, how many of us have loved ones that we've had to let go of? Without resurrection, without the resurrection, what is the basis of our hope of any eventual reunion with them now that they are gone? How many of us here today have those we cherish, people in our lives we cherish who have struggled, maybe are even laboring now with disease, with abuse, with abandonment, with rejection? If there's no resurrection, why do we refuse to give up on them? Why do we refuse to surrender our passionate conviction that they deserve and that they will find victory? Let's be clear today. 
Let me be clear to you today. I feel absolutely no need to try and convince anyone that resurrection actually happened. I can't prove the resurrection to you scientifically or otherwise because Jesus' resurrection, heck, any resurrection is a supernatural miracle. It's an act of God. It is not a human possibility. Neither can I convince you of the truth of resurrection. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And you'll know when you've encountered the Holy Spirit in the midst of the truth of resurrection, you'll know it because then you will understand something about today that can only come by faith. And that's this. What we celebrate today isn't merely Jesus giving us resurrection. What we celebrate today is realizing that Jesus is the resurrection. That Jesus is what he said, the resurrection and the life. New life, real change, lasting transformation, forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life only come through Jesus Christ. I can't prove this to you. I may not be able to even convince you of it this morning. But I can. And I will proclaim the reality of the resurrection of Christ all around us. I can and I will testify to its impact upon our humanity, its impact in our lives. I can and I will be this morning what all followers of Christ are called to be, witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in everyday life. Not just as a pastor, though I am privileged to be a pastor, but as a pilgrim in the faith, I have seen resurrection. I have seen alcoholics and other addicts raised from the dead in Christ when they were able to get clean, when they were set free from those chains of, of a false dependency. Set free, I witnessed those who would have called them themselves the walking dead, I have witnessed them become new, transformed persons, bursting forth with hopes and dreams and possibilities that never were there before. They never had it. I've seen resurrection in Christ happen in relationships, in marriages, among families, through friendships, even between enemies. It would have been easy to give up on those relationships. In the advice of the rational and the pragmatic, those marriages were already divorced. Those families were broken beyond repair. Those friendships were long dead and buried. But then, much to everyone's surprise, resurrection happened. Resurrection in Christ happened in the form of a willingness to listen. Well, resurrection in Christ happened in this mutual desire for forgiveness. Resurrection happened in this commitment to rebuilding trust. And I can testify in those relationships, those marriages, those families, those friendships, that they didn't just come back to life. They were radically transformed with a shared strength, a common vision, and a mutual dedication that just didn't exist before. Beloved, I'm here to tell you that whenever and wherever lives are changed and communities are transformed, there is resurrection in Christ. Christ is present. Jesus is the one who makes it happen, whether he gets the credit for it or not. For resurrection, what we celebrate today, what today is about is acknowledging that resurrection is no isolated incident. It's no aberration. As of today, resurrection from the dead is the new normal. 
On Good Friday, the old days died. On Resurrection Sunday, all days become new. Death is dead. Life is one. If we believe this, do we believe this this morning? If we believe this, if we believe that Jesus is risen, then we must show it. Resurrection is meant to be seen. The most compelling evidence of resurrection is a changed life. Some of you have been dragged here today. Let's keep it real. And for those of you who dragged those people here, I ask you, how can you bring someone here and tell them that Jesus has risen if you haven't seen or experienced his risen presence in your own life? By God's power at work within us, we must dwell richly in these new days, offering the hope of Christ in the midst of the tragedy and troubles of this world, rather than adding to the opposition and anxiety of the weary and the broken. Beloved, followers of Christ don't resist change. Hear that again. Followers of Christ don't resist change. They look for it. They anticipate it. We expect it because if Jesus is risen, we believe that he's changing everything. He himself told us that his, through his resurrection, he was making all things new. If we believe this, do you believe it this morning that Jesus is risen? If we believe that Jesus is risen, you can't keep quiet. It's not possible to remain silent when you realize that God's yes is louder God's yes for life is louder than death's no. If the resurrection is God's proclamation that life is precious, all life, each and every life is precious, that truth must be shared. And once again, the most provocative witness are transformed communities. Gatherings of believers that reflect this new creation, the transformative possibilities of forgiveness, of grace and love. Beloved, the body of Christ needs to stop being known for what it's against and needs to start being known for what it's for. We need to be recognized for who we are for. And contrary to what we are often taught, contrary to what's often witnessed out in the world, that list isn't exclusive. It's inclusive. I will quote one other scripture for you today, and it's a scripture that you don't even have to open up your Bibles to look at, because it's a scripture that even people who don't even know Jesus know, because it's at every sporting event, John 3.16. And John 3.16 spells it out, for God so loved the world, everyone, that he gave his one and only son. Everyone. This invitation, this faith, this resurrection is not exclusive. It's inclusive. All are welcome. <laughs> but if you're here today and you still can't believe that, if you're here today and that's not, the, that's not the gospel you've heard, if that's not the gospel you've experienced, if that's not the church that you've encountered, let me say on behalf of all those in Christ, let me say on behalf of the church throughout all the world and all time, if I could be so bold, that that is not the gospel. That the gospel is that you are welcome here. The gospel is you may have been dragged here this morning, but I believe that you are not here by accident. 
And if you still are struggling to believe, then allow me, give me the privilege and the honor, and I say it with humility and respect, if you can't believe, then give me the privilege and the honor of believing it today for you. Believing for you that God our Father loves you too much to let you go. You are so precious in his sight so fearfully and wonderfully made that our Father can't let you go. And contrary to what you've been told, our Father isn't looking just to give you a ticket to come home to cash in when you die. Your Father's desire is so great for you in Jesus Christ that he's already started relocating to where you are, bringing his kingdom here, heaven, here on earth. Because his desire is not to change your life later. His desire is to change your life now. Today. But you can keep running. You know who you are. You can keep running. You can keep doubting. You can keep wrestling. You can even keep betraying and denying his presence in your life. Jesus is used to that. Jesus died for just those sorts of people, people like us. Run, doubt, or wrestle. Jesus will just keep on rising to the occasion, showing us in creation, showing us in relationships, showing us all around us that he is the resurrection and the life. And trust me, not as a pastor, trust me as a pilgrim in the faith. <laughs> trust me, his love will wear you down. His truth will set you free. So if you're here today, however you got here, and you're hearing this, and, and you're hearing this invitation, and you're wanting to say yes, and you'll know it because you won't just feel it, but there'll be this compulsion right now. You're feeling it to just stand up and go, yes, but you're not going to do it because that would be totally socially awkward right now. <laughs> but you want to. I invite you. I invite you, Jesus invites you, Jesus is calling you today. I invite you when we come to this table, when we participate in something that again is the gift of God that makes grace tangible, makes grace real, something we can taste, touch, and feel. In that moment when you experience this invitation, this resurrection life, if I invite you to come, if you've never come before to this table and receive, and then I invite you, find me during the service, after the service, grab me. And if you're saying yes today, let me pray with you. Let me pray for you. Let me welcome you into the kingdom. Welcome you into this new creation. Welcome you into this new life. Whoever you are, wherever you've come from, all are welcome. Because Resurrection Sunday is the day that God proclaims that every life is so precious in God's eyes that not only are all welcome, none are left behind. No life can and will be extinguished, not by death, not by anything, not ever. That's Easter faith. That's resurrection power. That's saying something. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Indeed.